0: Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 13. You know, there's uh, this kind of thing that's gone around for the last several years where people try to divide everybody into two kinds of people. Now, when I first started researching that, I thought that maybe I'd find some things from the last 20 or 30 years, but it goes back much farther than that. But you've heard the saying before, there are two kinds of people in the world. Gandhi once said there were two kinds of people in the world, those that work and those that take the credit. Uh, Oscar Wilde said there are only two kinds of people in the world, people who know absolutely everything and people who know absolutely nothing. There are two kinds of people in the world, those who love to talk and those who hate to listen. You'll get that one later. There are two kinds of people in the world, those that walk into a room and say, there you are, and those who walk in and say, here I am am. You know, when you're doing things like that that are kind of trivial, it doesn't make a big difference, but when you start talking about that there's two kinds of people in the world, those that are believers and those that aren't, it can be a little more difficult. This morning, we're going to look at a parable. We're going to finish our series of sermons on stories that changed the world, and we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told that that does divide people into more than two groups of people. It divides them into four, but I think we'll see as we go through this and as we get to the end of it that it comes back to the fact that there are only really two kinds of people in the world. And those two distinctions are those that are followers and believers in Jesus and those who aren't. And as Gary has already said this morning, that that's really all that matters in life. It doesn't matter about your fame or your fortune or your fun, right? I could have just stole that. That That's a good three-pointer. It doesn't matter about that. All that matters is whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to get something right from the beginning. And on the back of your order of service where the notes are, I want you to write this down because it's an important thing to get because what Jesus is going to tell us is that the problem with the gospel is not the message or the method. The problem with the gospel is not the message or the method. Now, I want to give a couple of cautions here. Because some of you out there are saying, Amen, Brother Law, that's right. We don't need to change a thing. We need to keep doing it like we've been doing it, because there's nothing wrong with the message or the method. Amen. That's not what I mean. What I mean there is that the problem when someone doesn't accept Christ is, at the end of it all, they're not going to be able to blame the message or the method for their rejection. In fact, I believe that Jesus was pretty clear through the parables that sometimes you have to alter the way you say things in order for people to hear. But it's still up to them to receive. In fact, and I've got a a second point to that, but we're not going to go there. Well, there it is. The problem is with us. I want you to notice something, okay? If you look through the first few chapters of the book of Matthew. And don't do that right now. Don't do that during the rest of the sermon, please. But go home and look at it. What you see is the book of Matthew starts out as one of those books where Jesus is pretty direct in what he says. He starts with the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts to just go time after time. Well, you hear it said, don't murder. Well, I say, don't even get angry. You've heard it said, "Don't, don't commit adultery. What I say is, don't even look at a woman in a wrong way. And just bang, point after point after point. It's almost like he's just rapid firing these propositional truths, these ideas that he's changing. He is rapid fire, giving them the gospel. And throughout it all, the Pharisees and those that are opposed to Jesus just don't get it. And so you come to a place right before this chapter of Scripture where they literally accuse Jesus of doing all that he does by the power of Satan. And what Jesus says in the middle verses that we're not even going to talk about today, in the middle of these verses when the disciples come to me and say, why are you telling stories now? Why are you telling these stories? What happened to the hard-hitting truth? What happened to just telling them like it is? What happened to just taking it and sharing it? Why don't you start masquerading it in stories? And he says, because they didn't understand. He says, the truth is some of them will never understand. That's why he tells this parable. But he says, I'm trying to get things to where when they understand it, they can apply it. And so the problem is not with the message or the method. What Jesus says is the problem is with the hearer. And let me just tell you real clearly right now, if you are someone that has not heard a fresh word from God in the last few weeks, or months, or years, let me tell you something. It is not God that has turned silent. If you are someone that has never heard a new word from God in your life, it is not God who is silent. You cannot blame the method or the message. What Jesus is going to do, He's going to tell a story that they would have been very familiar with. They would have been very familiar with what was happening here. And He's going to point out, That what we do in our lives, how we live our lives, the way that we listen to the Lord, shows whether or not we are following Him. I just want to be real honest. The message that I'm going to preach today would make some people very uncomfortable. Even theological, religious people. Because they're going to say that I'm going to put way too much emphasis on our response to God. You know, there are debates out there right now. How much is it God choosing and how much is it us responding Let me tell you that what I'm going to do today is I'm going to tell you what Jesus said. Is that all right? And what Jesus said is that how we respond often depends on the condition of ourselves, and that may make some particular theological people upset. That's okay, because I believe that God lays out the gospel and the method and the message, and it is up to us what we do with it. Matthew, chapter 13. Starting in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. I love this picture. Such large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. Uh, The message paraphrase of that says he found a boat and he used it as a pulpit. I love that. While all the people stood on the shore. So get the picture. Jesus is teaching and he thinks, okay, it's time to teach again. And suddenly he thinks, "Uh uh-oh, we got so many people. we got to move this thing somewhere else. I can't just stand on the shore and talk. i got to get in a position higher. One of the things I love about Jesus, and I've seen a whole sermon on this, and you're not going to get it today, but He understood the acoustics of the day. And by getting up, and with the lake behind Him and the mounds behind Him, it was going to project His voice. And He knew with such large crowds, He had to project. I mean, the reality is, nobody had microphones back then. And so he had to project his voice. And so he gets there. He stands up on that boat. I can can see the boat up and down. Now, I've preached in a lot of conditions. I've never preached on a boat that's going up and down. And it says that Jesus stood there and he began to talk. Then he told them many things in parables. You realize we're just getting part of it. We're not getting the whole thing. So we get the best of. And he says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, in their day and time, they didn't have combines that were going to plant seeds or harvest seeds. They didn't have planters that went out into the fields. They didn't dig the nice rows so that the, plants, the, the seeds went in. The only way they knew to sow seeds was they just took it and threw it, scattered it. You may have seen pictures or images of somebody with a sack on their side, and they're just reaching in and scattering seed. And so he gives this picture of a man going out to just scatter the seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, this is one of those parables that there has not been a whole lot of discussion about what it means. I talked about the parable of the prodigal God, or prodigal son, or the parable of the two sons. I, we talked about the parable of the, the talents. We talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And for those, there is great debate about what each element means. In this parable, there's no debate at all. You know why? You know why? Jesus told us, right? Here's the thing. When Jesus tells you, you kind of accept it. Okay? So in just a minute, we're going to find out what Jesus said about it, but I think it's interesting that he gives this picture. And while this picture is still there, the disciples ask him a question, and then he tells them what is happening. Go to verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that was sown in his heart. This seed is sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is a man who hears the word, receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he only lasts for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is a man who hears the word, but the worries of his life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke it out making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This passage of Scripture tells us that when the word is sent out, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, when God speaks to people that they have selective hearing, Any of you here know what selective hearing is? Some of you. Wives, you know what selective hearing is from your husbands? Uh, You can sit one day and your husband's there watching a game and you can say, honey, I need somebody to come take this trash out. And he doesn't seem to hear that at all. But yet you say to him, i got supper ready, and he's out of that chair and up to the table quickly. Right? Any of you experience something like that? Selective hearing. Well, Jesus says, when I give the gospel, people have selective hearing. Some people hear it and understand it, and some don't. Let me just go ahead and give away what I believe about this parable before we get to the end. Because, you see, there is one debatable part of this parable, and that's how many of these people are really saved. How many of the different seeds are really, or the soils are really saved? And I would say this to you, from my understanding of Scripture, from what I read, and I'll explain it at the end, I think that the only one that is truly saved is the last one. The other three aren't. And so I'm going to ask you this morning to ask some very difficult questions. I'm going to ask you this morning, just for these next 10 or 15 minutes, to take the mask that's on your face, the mask that you put on your life, that cloud that you put so nobody knows who you really are, I'm going to ask you just for the next few minutes to remove that a little bit and allow yourselves to be open and frank and honest with God. I'm going to ask you to ask some penetrating questions. Some questions that will ask you really, what what am I about? Am I really living for the Lord? I'm going to ask you, are you really a follower of Jesus? And it's going to be a four-part question. The first question that you need to ask yourself this morning is, do you have a hardened heart? Do you have a hardened heart? Look what it says here. It says that when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Jesus says that sometimes when you proclaim the gospel that there will be people that are hearing that are trying to understand and it will go in one ear and out the other it will pass completely by them as if they never heard it. And the truth is, there may be some of you here today that the, what I'm saying is going in one ear and out the other. I guess it really doesn't matter what I'm saying because it's going in one ear and out the other. And I could try talking to you this morning, but it's going in one ear and out the other. Some of you are listening. The idea here is that you... I've just had your life hardened. I read this week a a pastor that said that that one of the reasons that they were passed in that day was not that they had infrastructure improvement projects, right? They didn't have a bailout plan that gave them infrastructure improvement projects, There were just certain places that people walked more than other places. There were certain things that got trod, that the wheels went on, that that the earth opened up and so it was exposed more to the elements. And so as a result, there were natural worn paths. And because of that, the seed sometimes fell on those natural worn paths. And this pastor that was writing about that said, and the reality is that most of us in our life, if we're honest, have natural worn paths paths where people have walked on us or we've done stuff to ourselves. And part of what happens is that life just comes at you so hard and so fast that before you know it, you've become hardened. I mentioned earlier that I think the first three of these are people that haven't accepted Christ, but let me also venture this to you. Even for someone who has accepted Christ in the past, if they're not faithful to what Christ is doing in their lives, can see a little bit of this hardness in their own life. And one of the things that I think is interesting is often it comes not in our whole life, but in certain aspects of our lives. There was a uh, a man that that was uh, a guy that I knew a few years ago, and he was one of those World War II veterans. Some of you in here served in World War II. That generation is passing away, and he was one of those guys that had served in World War II. The first time I ever went to his house, he told story after story after story after story about his World War II experience. Literally, he ta- he sat and talked to me. He was the first in-home visit I ever made as a pastor. And he talked for three hours about his war stories. And he sat there, and as we were getting ready to leave, we literally stood up and he said, Hey, i got more to tell you. And I said, well, i have to come back later, sir. I apologize. He was a guy that at times I saw in worship. He was a guy they didn't have anything, literally didn't have any money. We're on fixed income and fixed income from several years ago. They've been living on it. It wasn't enough to make the way. But there were times I saw him in worship when he would get so into worship that literally tears would come down his face. I remember having conversations with him when he was just one of the nicest, gentlest men you would ever met. Children in that church talked about the fact that when they used to come in the front door, he always had candy with him. And children that had been away from that church would come back, give him a hug around the neck, and say, i always remember you as the candy man. But there was one particular area of his life where he had a hardened heart. I remember one time, we, had, we were having a celebration. And as a result, we ended up with a multicultural environment in our church. I walked up to the man, and he said some words that I never imagined would come out of his mouth. Because in that one area, he was hardened. Let me ask you a question this morning. First of all, do you have a hardened heart? I'm talking about in the grand scheme of things. Have you come to a place ever in your life when you've accepted Christ? And if you haven't, has it just become to where things are just passing through one ear and out the other? Maybe you come because your wife makes you come. Maybe you come for the kids. Maybe you come because it's just something that you've done. But in reality, you don't hear anything. It's like I'm standing up here and I'm just uttering words that don't make any sense. Let me ask you this if you're a follower of Jesus. Is there an area of your life where you've become hardened? where you've allowed things and traditions and, and what's happening in your life and what's going on with you to so set your agenda that you're not open to God speaking and moving in different ways. Scripture says, and Jesus says, that the problem with the hardened heart is it doesn't any, leave any room for the soil to accept it. It doesn't leave any room for the seed to take root, and it gets snatched away. I heard somebody say that one of the ways you avoid hardened heart, even after you're a follower of Jesus, is that you just begin to live out what God has called you to do. This pastor says that he has observed hard-hearted Christians with hearing problems in churches all over the land. They've set their ideas and beliefs, customs, and familiar practice developed through the years. They suddenly take on the authority of the Ten Commandments. Political beliefs, economic theories are baptized with holy fervor. Americanized Jesus of our own making makes it difficult for us to listen to the biblical Christ. He says, and what happens is they become set in what they're doing. They become stagnant in their growth. And as a result, they're not acting on what God has done. And they become more and more hard in their lives. Do you have a hardened heart? Here's the second question. Do you have a shallow heart? Verse 20, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he only lasts a little time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the Word, he quickly falls away. What happens here is that we realize that we have a shallow heart. What Jesus says is you scatter some seed. And some seed falls on the path. It doesn't even take root. But but some of it takes root because there's this thin layer of soil on top that seems to be good. But underneath it is a rock bed. And as the seed begins to sprout, it looks good. It looks like everything's going well. But suddenly, when difficulty comes, when the sun beats down a little too hard, when the rain comes a little too much, when something in their lives is not like it ought to be, then they fade away because there was no root there. One of the saddest things to experience as a pastor is to see someone that you believe has come to know the Lord, you believe has given their life to Christ, and yet in weeks or months, tragedy or difficulty or problems come, and they fade away, and the thing that is left in your heart is was what they did even real. You know stories. If you've been in church, you know stories. People that walk the aisle or people that, uh, when I was growing up, people that would be at youth camp and You'd have the the, the guy that that everybody wanted to be on the trip because you knew that they needed to know Jesus. And by the end of the week, they're crying and they're emotional and they're excited about what God's doing. And we're going back and we're taking our campus for Christ. And two weeks later, they're doing the same exact stuff they were doing two weeks before the trip. An adult who has lived a life that has been just terrible. And they, they walk the aisle and they talk to me and things are going well. But the first sign of trouble, they quickly leave. I'm not just talking about leaving a church. I'm talking about walking away from what Christ is doing. Oftentimes, this does come in an emotional moment at the end of a relationship, uh, going through a divorce, losing a job, someone just finding a place to connect. And so they say, listen, that sounds good at the moment. It meets my emotional need, but there's no root. There's no. There's no sustenance. They're not... Actually tapped into Jesus Christ. They don't have a relationship with him, and as a result, when trouble comes, they leave. This morning the question is, do you have a shallow heart? Third question is this do you have a crowded heart? You have a crowded heart. Verse twenty two. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. You could have said on here, do you have a busy heart? Do you have a worried heart? Do you have a rich heart? Do you have a greedy heart? The idea is that you want more of everything else but God. The idea here is that maybe the seed is sown and it looks like it's going to grow up, but what happens is you allow the things of life to so constrict what you're doing that you're no longer listening for the voice of God. He mentions two or three things here that can really crowd our heart, and one of those is just simply worry. Worry. Worry is one of those things that we all know we shouldn't do, but we all do. Amen? How many of you here have ever worried about something? Let me see your hands. we we'll want see it. It's us, right? Now, are we in any doubt that we're not supposed to worry? Who told us not to worry? Jesus, right? He kind of made it simple. He said, do not worry. In fact, he says, don't worry, because who can add a day to your life by your worry? The idea there is it isn't doing you any good. I read a study that 90% of what people worry about never happens. Think about that. of what we worry about, we can't do anything about. So right there, I've just eliminated 95% of your worries, all right? You can thank me later. I'll be out back at the end of the service. The other 5% are things that might actually happen and we can do something about. Here's how you battle worry. Let me give you the secret. I'm going to sell millions of books with this secret. You ready? If you want to defeat worry in your life, those things that you can do something about, do something about, Did you get that? That's deep right now. you do got to go, ooh, that's deep. Worry doesn't do any good. If you can't control it, why worry? If you can, do. Amen? Some of you aren't wanting to amen because you realize it's too simple and that takes away your ability to worry because some of you, you're defined by your worry. Some of you are defined by the fact that you're a warrior. It's a crowded heart. You know what's interesting is Jesus uses the word worry here, the worries of life. You know what? Our word worry comes from an English word that means to choke. Isn't that a good definition? How many of you have ever stayed up at night, laying in bed, tossing and turning, because your mind won't shut off with the worries of the world? Man, done that? Yeah. How many of you have ever found yourself at work or with your children or with your spouse. And even though you are there, you are not there. Because the worries are choking away your productivity at that moment. I ever been there? It says that worry is not something we worry about. Here's the thing. When we worry, what we're doing is we're elevating our problem above God's ability to handle it. You ever thought about that? That what you're doing when you worry is saying that this problem is so big, God can't handle it for me. Now, I don't know about you, but when we say it like that, it sounds kind of ridiculous. Because there is absolutely nothing God cannot handle. Now, it's not just worry that gets us out of our comfort, that, that, that starts to choke away the, the listening to God, it's also our wealth. Isn't that what it says? Now, you say, Well, I ain't got any problem with that, Pastor. Appreciate it. The wealth issue is not with me. Think you can move on? You can get on to those wealthy people right now and move on. Being from West Tennessee, as you know, one of our honored sons is Elvis Presley. Elvis was a man that was just born as just a normal guy. Had a normal guy from Mississippi with a normal mama. He wrote a song about his normal mama called That's Alright Mama. And he sang it. The next thing you know, he's got Graceland, right? Now, Elvis, this is an amazing thing. You know how many years it's been since Elvis died? I'll give you an idea. I was one. All right? Wait, wait, no, I wasn't even one yet. Let's see, he died and, no, I was one, I was one. So, as of Tuesday, it'll be 30, I'll be 33. So that leaves 32 years since he died, this coming August. That's a long time, isn't it? 32 years, a lot's happened in 32 years. You know what? 250,000 people still go see Elvis' grave. A year. Now, here's the interesting thing to me about Elvis. I was watching an interview the other day with Tom Jones. You think, Pastor, you are all over the place right now. I'm coming back, all right? I'm coming. Just stay with me. Tom Jones was talking about some things, and the guy I interviewed him said, you used to do some stuff with Elvis out in Vegas. He said, I did. And he said, well, tell me what that was like. He said it was the most unbelievable thing. He said, Elvis would do these shows at night, and then he would go back to his room, and he would invite other performers from Vegas to come, and we would sit in his room. He said, well, what would you do in his room? He said, all Elvis wanted to do was sing the old gospel songs. Elvis, uh, one of his relatives, one, one of his siblings, talked about what he thought happened to Elvis, and he said this is what happened. He says he was a normal guy who really wanted a relationship with Christ. And he tried throughout his life to go back to that, but what kept getting in the way was the fame and fortune and fun. I said a couple of weeks ago that one of the words people think of when they think of Christians is boring because we are most of the time. Not that we should be, but we are. One of the th- reasons is, is because as Christians, we've forgotten to have how to have godly, fulfilling fun. And we buy into all the junk the world is telling us. We don't realize how much the world infiltrates our heart. He talks about the wealth and the wants of life. You know, I, I was thinking about this because yesterday we were, we were sitting together as a family and Eli has gotten to the point where he, he likes watching some a uh, couple of cartoons in particular. He's figured out how to work the remote so he can watch the cartoons, all right? He knows how to go backwards and forwards and all of that. Well, apparently, in one of the cartoons that he watches, there is a very persuasive infomercial, because last night he gave us the whole sales pitch. It was these things you could put on your walls. only 1999, daddy. And they'll give you one free. And Daddy, I had not told you the best part. He's talking to Sue He says, I didn't tell either one of you this, that you can take it off and it doesn't hurt the loss. I mean, it was word for word. I was thinking about signing him up, getting him a contract. I think he can do these things. But it just reminded me how he's just watching that cartoon and that commercial comes on and it just becomes part of him. And sometimes we allow all the junk of the world to crowd out the voice of God. Now that's dangerous when you're a follower of Jesus, but the problem is there are a lot of people in this room, there are a lot of people in churches all over the country today that have never made a commitment to the Lord they're sitting in church, they're involved in Sunday school, they're doing things, but they've never made a personal commitment to the Lord. And the problem is, they think they've got all the stuff figured out. But what they don't realize is the stuff's got them figured out. And it is choking away their life. Here's the last question. Do you have a changed heart? Look at verse 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the Word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what it was sown. Here's the test. Do you want to know the test over whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, a Christian, someone who has accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you want to know a simple test to determine whether or not you are a follower of Jesus? Here it is. Are you producing fruit? That's it. Are you changed? You see, what Jesus says is, that it doesn't just help you that if the seed goes down and it begins to grow. That's not what helps. Because sometimes the wind will come and it will blow you over. It doesn't help because sometimes things will, will snatch it out of your hand if you're not rooted in Jesus. only way you can tell whether or not you're a follower of Jesus is this. Is that if your life has been radically changed by the Savior. Now, some of you say, well, Pastor, I was saved when I was eight or nine years old. There is no way my life could be radically changed. Let me tell you this. Your life might not have been radically changed from one thing to another at that particular moment, but your life ought to be radically different than it would have been if you hadn't found Jesus. And some of you, if you're honest with yourself, your career path, your career trajectory, your life system is exactly the same as if you had never accepted Jesus Christ, except for two hours On Sunday morning. There's no difference. You walk down the street and the guy over there that's an atheist, he's just as bitter as you are. He's just as upset. He's just as hardened. There is no difference at all between you and him. You come in here on Sunday morning, you sit, you listen, you put up with us for a little bit. When you go home, no difference. Some of you in this room are involved in exactly the same kind of sins and problems and worldliness that people outside this door that are not even thinking about church today are involved in. It hadn't made a difference in your life at all. And I just want to be real honest with you this morning. And I'm not one of those guys that likes to scare people or to get you to question your salvation, except that's what Jesus intended by this passage, all right? You better check your fruit. See if there's any change. Part of the problem is in churches, we don't expect change. Somebody gets real grumpy, starts saying bad things about the church or the preacher or the uh, administrator or whoever. Well, that's just old so-and-so. That's just how he is. You you just don't know him like we know him. That's just who he is. Well, you know what? I understand that there are people that are just who they are, but Scripture says that if we're just who we are, then we haven't met the one who wants to change us into who we can be. And churches are filled with unchanged people. And we wonder why we look like the world. Now, we're not going to go into it. But if you want to get really scared and really question who you are and really ask some difficult questions about your salvation, read the next passage. The next one following, because it's the parable of the wheat and tares, and Jesus says, here's what's happening. They went out and sowed some seed. It's another agricultural metaphor. Showed some seed, and as they did, things began to grow up. Well, they noticed that there were some weeds, and there were some, some, some good stuff coming, and they were both coming up at the same time. And the guy said, I'm going to go get the weeds out. And he said, don't do that. Wait till the end of the harvest, and then take out the weeds and throw them away, and take the good and harvest it. And he says, as it will be the same way at the end. Now there are a lot of descriptions I could give for what I'm looking at right now. Amen. Some good, some maybe not so good. Here's one description Jesus would say is that right now looking out upon me are some wheat and some tares. Now the thing is your pastor, I'm not I'm not given the spiritual knowledge to know which is which. And the truth is I'm really glad about that. But it goes back to what we said at the beginning. The only person responsible for yourself is yourself. The problem's not in the message, it's not in the method, it's not in the preacher, it's not in the music, it's not in the church. It's not in the Sunday school class. It's not in your upbringing. It's not in your childhood. It's not in your teenage years. It's not in what's happened in the last five years. The question right now is, are you responsible for yourself? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Is your heart changed? In just a moment, we're going to sing a song, and it is a beautiful song of worship. It talks about how worthy Christ is and how our sin put Him on that cross. And what I want you to do in the middle of that song, some of you say, well, I, I just can't sing it right now. I'm going to think about something. That's fine. In the middle of this song, I want you to do real business with the Lord. And I want you to just ask Him openly and honestly. And some of you never talked to God before in this way, and that's okay. In your mind, I want you to say, Lord, do I have a hardened heart? Lord, do I have a shallow heart? Lord, do I have a crowded heart? Heart, and I want you to ask him the big question Lord, is there a need in me right now to come to know you as my Savior? No matter how many people in this room think I already am, is there a need for me to accept you as my Savior? And I would just pray that in that moment that we have, in a moment when I pray, while we're singing that song, while you're doing real business with the Lord, I just want you to ask the question, Lord am follower of yours. You see, because when it comes back down, there really are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who are following Jesus and those who aren't. The book of James tells us that to hear the word of the God and not to obey, to hear the word of the Lord and not to obey is like a man who looks in a mirror and walks away unchanged. First John tells us that you cannot know God. You cannot love God and not keep His commands. You cannot know God. You cannot love God and keep on sinning. You cannot know God. You cannot love God and not be changed. Ask the question. Maybe the toughest question today is not, is my heart hardened? Or not if my heart is crowded. Maybe the toughest question today is, is my heart changed? Just in the next few moments, I want you to be honest with yourself about that.